I don't know what it is, man. Every year in October, I'm broke, man. I don't get it. Like, every year, man, every October come, the whole month, like, October is the worst month for me every year. Because every year for, like, the last five years, maybe even more, me and my brothers and my wife and um, all that, man, we always be like, man, we going to the haunted house. And then we would tell somebody, like, hey, man, go look up the tickets. So then somebody go look up the tickets, and they see it's like $30, $40 a person, man. And depending on what night and stuff you go. So they're like, hey, $30, $40 a person? Suit. So then once you tell everybody how much it costs, then they kind of die down. And then we say, well, we might still make it. And then we don't end up making it because... Folk ain't budgeting this thirty forty dollars, and I know to some of y'all that might not be a lot of money, but uh, to some of us, you know, that's a lot of money, man. Now, um, you gotta think the average person making, if you got a decent job, fifteen an hour, you making six hundred a week. So if you and your girl can go out to the haunted house, you know that's seventy dollars. You know, so seventy dollars is a nice chunk of, you know, you get six hundred. Then by the time they take taxes out, you got five hundred. So seventy dollars is a nice little chunk out of five hundred dollars, man. You know, and uh, me, I do courier work, man. You know, I deliver blood and uh, urine and, and and all kind of different specimens, so people can get you know get it tested on and all that COVID tests and. You know, so I and I deliver medicine to sick people and stuff. So people in hospice and all that. So you know, I do a nice little service. I believe you know, I, I help some folks out through my job, but um, don't pay much though. <laughs> don't pay much at all, man. And I use my own car, so I put a lot of wear and tear on my car, and don't make the money to uh, you know, to make it worth it. But anyway, uh. You know, so every year, so I'm broke in October, and technically I'd be broke all year long, but in October I'd be especially broke. <laughs> so anyway, uh, the, you know, these stories today is dedicated to the people who not really enjoying Halloween the way we would usually because of, you know, COVID it ain't going to be no trick-or-treating. It's not going to probably be parties or many parties, the biggest party as it used to be. It's not going to be a lot of folk walking around in costumes and stuff, you know. So I understand um, that uh, a lot of y'all been waiting on Halloween and a lot of y'all be waiting on Halloween before, you know, before, like soon as you wait on Halloween in the summertime. <laughs> so, you know. I feel for y'all, man. I feel for y'all because I really ain't enjoying this one, man. And uh, then I ain't got cable, so I can't see the um, the marathons they do. You know, Michael Myers, Jason, man, I can't see it because I ain't got cable. And I don't be home anyway, man. I be at work 12, 13, 14 hours on the average. So. And I got Hulu and stuff. And uh, one, of, one of my best fans, man, she sent me a... Uh, uh, the shutter pass, her shutter password, but she ain't had time to watch nothing, man. I work seven days straight. Finna be eight, nine, finna be 12 days because I'm finna work every day this week. So I'm trying to get hood whore to the point where I can focus on nothing but getting y'all stories, getting y'all content, man. So 
follow my YouTube page, youtube.com slash hood horror. And you can see the stuff I do on there. Then I got an Instagram where I do skits and little movies on. That's instagram.com slash hood horror. Or just put in at hood horror. Um, Facebook.com slash hood horror. I'll be on there. You can come on there and talk to me if you want to. You can send me stories at hood horror creepy pasta at gmail. That's hood horror creepy pasta at gmail.com. Last, you can send some money if you want to. You can make donations to the Cash App. Cash App is dollar sign hood horror. That's dollar sign hood horror. It only works if you put the dollar sign in. And then, um, what else? PayPal. You can PayPal something if you want to at Baker, B-A-K-E-R, fam, F-A-M, and the number four. So Baker, fam, four. You can send some to the PayPal through. So I appreciate y'all, man. I thank y'all. You can also become a subscriber to this podcast down at the bottom where it says support this podcast. So it would be helpful, man. I thank y'all. I love y'all. And here we go. Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. It's no secret. I've been searching for you for quite some time. You know it too. I can tell by how quickly you shut the door behind you. How you can't help but to look over your shoulder. How you can't fight the temptation of looking out your windows. Hoping you don't see me. Watching. And waiting. I would feel sorry for you if I could. But I can't. I envy you too much for that. No matter how I try to reach you. You pull further and further away What is it that frightens you? Why don't you desire me? I can give you whatever you want However you want it Countless people have fallen for me Fallen forever Is it because I talk too smooth? Do you doubt my promises? You think I don't have power? While you sleep, I watch you. Wondering if your tossing and turning will wake you so you can see me. What do I have to do? I want to prove to you that I can make you mine. Just let me whisper in your ear a little louder. I'm after more than your beauty Or your brains or I'm even after more than your heart I want something deeper Something eternal But you asked me to leave you So I'll go away <laughs> But only for a season, my love
chilling tales for dark nights. Want to make sure you never miss a Chilling Tales for Dark Nights video again? Be sure to subscribe and hit that bell to turn on notifications. Growing up, there wasn't a lot of fun things to do, places to go that offered a real safe, you know, form of entertainment for the kids. When we get out of school, you know, we go to the gym, you know, school gym would open up and they let us come in there and hoop or whatever. But you know, the thing about it though, they let the dope boys in there too. So it wasn't really always no safe place to go. You know, we had the old playgrounds and everything, but you know, the sliding jungle, jungle gym and the um, basketball court and all that, but it's just the same thing, man, you know, but and ain't nobody policing the place. So, you know, sometimes we have to get away from the folks in the neighborhood and um, go out and do our own little thing. So me and my folks, we used to like to explore. And you know, one of the most, the most popular spots, it was this old tunnel, about a block away from where I live. It was down, you know, it, you had to go down this hill and it used to be this old train track to go through it. My grandpops, you know, God rest his soul, he said it used to be the old um, inner urban that used to come through there. You know, for those who ain't never heard of inner urban, it's, um, it's like an electrified railroad with these things called trolleys or uh, streetcars that ran along the tracks. It's kind of like the subway, but it's above ground and a whole lot longer. That thing connected like cities instead of just, you know, all up in one city. My grandpa used to work on um on the interurban before it shut down back in the 50s. One time he told me that a ghost haunted the old tunnel at night. They called her the Screamer. According to him, one night back in the, in the, um, you know, like after the depression, some young lady well, during the Depression, I think it was. It's hard to remember, but I think he said this lady was just walking, you know, through the tunnel. You know, she didn't uh, missed her streetcar to her home in the burbs, so, you know, she thought uh, she could maybe hurry up and make it through or something, but another trolley came through and ran her down and killed her. Ever since then, her ghost haunted the tunnel, just screaming in agony. Like she just reliving her fate over and over. You know, I never thought it was true. I thought it was just some made up story to keep us kids out of the tunnel after dark, to keep us safe. But I don't think that way no more.
back when I was around 16 or 17, I was with my homeboy now. You know, I had my girl with me too, and uh, we decided we gonna check the tunnel out at night. You know, we done it during the day, we ran through and all that, but we ain't never went down through there at nighttime. Gotta tell you, man, that tunnel, I thought it was straight up scary at nighttime, man. You you know, you could see it, but you couldn't, you know, see past a few feet in the entrance, man. So my girl and my homeboy, you know, man, we you know, we started checking out, you know. We wasn't really expecting nothing to happen, just, you know, worse we figure we run across some old you know, some old homeless person or something, man. Some crazed crackhead or something. But when we start to walk in, we hear a whistling noise from inside the tunnel. Like, uh, the best way I can describe it is like, you know, the sound you hear when you blow the cross to like uh, the top of a bottle or something. Then we started hearing it a little different. It started getting more like a mechanical sound or something. At first we figured, you know, it's just the wind or something, man. But, but then we heard a sound like metal scraping on metal. You know, it wasn't a real vicious type sound, but it was just a, a slow metal grinding on metal sound. Then we heard this lady screaming. Like she was in trouble. You know, it started low. And it just rose up in volume until it was just like a like a like a wail, man. Like somebody just wailing, man. I ain't never heard nobody scream like that. So, you know, we all thought it must be some lady in trouble or something. Uh, uh, you know, something must be wrong. So we ran in calling to her, you know, trying to see if we could help. We ran all the way through the tunnel. We ain't see nobody. You know, we had our flashlights and stuff out, but everything was towed up, rusted and all that, like normal, but we ain't see nobody. There no signs that anybody was in there. We turned around and went to look back to where we came when we saw this lady dressed in like some real old-fashioned style clothes, like way back in the 1930, 40 type time, man. She looked like something out of a horror movie. Her skin was this pale gray color, and it's rotted away on parts of her face so you could see the bone. She was missing her eye, and the one that she had, that thing was like just red as blood, man. Then she screamed, man. She gave that scream, that tear. I'm talking about, it's nothing like this scream, man. Her jaw stretched in ways that would be impossible for some, you know, regular living human. Man, we, I'm talking about her jaw went all the way down to touch her chest, man, past her collarbone. Man, we hit it up out of there. I'm talking about, we ain't, Never go back to that tunnel. We never, you know, we, 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 I don't even know if we told anybody about what we saw, but 
Anytime when folks didn't want to go down that past the tunnel, man, we had to go the other way. We couldn't even go that way. You know, um, I read recently in, uh, in a paper that the city putting in some new light rail system and part of it gonna go through the old tunnel. And um, let's just say you won't see me on any of them trains at night. That's for sure. First off, let me tell y'all something. Don't never pick up nobody hitchhiking or asking for a ride or, you know, you sometimes it's raining or something and you're driving and you see a person walking or a mama push her stroller. Let me tell you something. Let them walk. Save yourself years and years of torment by letting that person walk. I'm going to tell you why before you say, oh, I'm being mean or whatever. Let me tell you why. You don't know who you're picking up. And I made that mistake once. And no, I wasn't mugged or, you know, kidnapped or anything. And because I know, and they do run that little scam where, you know, you give a lady a ride, she got a stroller and everything. And while you giving her a ride, you mess around and uh, she call ahead and let them folks know that y'all finna pull up. Or they send you to a dummy house or something. Next thing you know, you getting carjacked. But anyway, that ain't what happened. Let me tell you what happened. This was back in like 04 or something. I had just graduated from college and all that. And had my degree in journalism. You know, and shortly after graduating, I got a job at a newspaper in a small city. Um, working for the um, city editor as a columnist, right? First few months, you know, I spent getting familiar with the job and the city itself. So at that time, I'm living in an apartment right there at a neighboring suburb. My commute on a good day was like, you know, a 45-minute drive from my apartment to the office and back. So, you know, it wasn't really that bad. One night early, still October, still was 04. I had to work later than usual. And a co-worker was out on maternity leave, and I had to cover her column well as mine. So when I got out, you know, it was around like seven. In my car, I had an old green, you know, uh, Buick Regal, man, 93. And, you know, my car was the only car in the parking lot. So I drove um, by the city park on Mason Street. And my headlights picked up uh, a figure of a young boy, man. He's about 10 or 11 years old. His hair was dark, but his skin was real pale. I saw he was wearing a, a yellow and red striped t-shirt and some jeans. It seemed like he was lost, man. He was cold, he had his hands, you know, rubbing against his arms like he trying to warm himself up. So I pulled up and I let down the window. I said, hey man, you need a lift? Boy shivered, man, and you know, just in his just weak voice, he was like, you know, thanks, mister. And he got in. It was easy to tell the boy it was cold, 
you know, so I reached behind me and I grabbed, um, you know, my brown leather jacket, straight nice, members only. You know, I gave that to him. He took it. Before we started off, I asked him where he lived. He was like on Big Hill Road. You know, that was all he said. This was a bit up out the way, but, you know, not too much. I had knew the area well enough by now and figured I could easily, like, look back through the town that was just north of where I lived and be back in town to catch uh, any of my favorite show and make myself a sandwich before I go to bed. So I'm driving. I said, kid, man, what you doing out so late? The boy said he had gone out to play and explore the woods and stuff behind the park and lost track of time and direction. I'm like, dang, boy, that's, that's a long <laughs> track of, of time and direction to lose, man. We about, you know, five, six, seven miles from, um, you know, where he lived. But anyway, you know, we drove in silence after that till we came around the bend in the road and his house came to view. He was like, this is it. Stop here, because I don't want you to get stuck in the mud down the driveway. They hit one of them real long country driveways. So he got out after I stopped the car. And before he went in, he thanked me and offered me my jacket back. I said, hey, man, don't worry about it. It's raining, and you got this big old long driveway, man. I'll just come by and get it tomorrow boy said thank again sir and he turned to walk away the next day was Saturday I was off work and everything so you know I figured the kid wouldn't be in school so I went on and drove to the house where I dropped him off the house was easy to spot because you know it was the only one on that side of the road and then I noticed how the house looked for the first time I really couldn't see it at night it was like a, a ramshack little one-story house, man, with peel and paint, and the front porch was all sagging. The front yard was mostly just dead grass and weeds, man, you know, with a few bare spots. And the entire property was surrounded by, you know, a chain-link fence. The driveway was still muddy, so, you know, I didn't want to get my car stuck up in it, so I got out. And um, I walked through the gate and up to the porch. I knocked on the door and it swung open real quick. And standing there was a big fat man about his, you know, mid to late 60s or so. And uh, he had real thin gray hair, dressed in a dirty sweat-stained t-shirt. Had some worn-out baggy pants on. He was holding a can of cheap-looking beer in his hand. He said, what in the world do you want? He asked. I said, man, um, hey, uh, how, you, how you doing? You know, last night I gave your son a ride home. And, you know, I let him borrow my jacket. And then the man cut me off. Don't you have anything better to do than, than buy the old man with bad memories? I said, you know, I'm sorry, sir, but, you know, I don't understand. I said, um. You know, I don't know, man. I just want to get my jacket. 
Then the man looked at me and I guess after he decided I was serious, he rubbed his eyes and sighed. You must not be from, uh, from around here, Bubba. So I guess I should tell you. That boy you picked up last night was sure enough my son. But uh, he been dead for about 30 years. Dead? said the man. My little boy was on his way home from the park when he was hit by a speeding car and killed. I just stood there looking crazy. The man just turned to go back inside. Right before he closed the door, he turned to me and said, if you want your jacket, uh, probably find it down there on this grave at uh, Westside Cemetery. I couldn't believe it, man. I needed that jacket, man. That mug was nice. Old school members only, man. So I drove to the Westside Cemetery. I spent an hour searching for the right headstone. And when I found it, I knew it right away because, you know, draped over it was my jacket. After this situation, two things never happened again. One, I never wore that jacket again, and I wound up um, donating it to the church. And two, I never picked up anybody asking for a ride again, unless she was fine. So I'm driving from Philly to Buffalo for a business trip. It's like back in 07, right? And after about 30 miles, you know, north of the city, I come to a small town called Snyder's Gate. At first glance, it seemed like just any other, you know, small town in the area. But I stopped to read the welcome sign. I saw something crazy, man. The sign said, welcome to Snyder's Gate. Established 1753, home of the infamous Crazy Eyes Jack. You know, man, my curiosity just, just peaked, man. I decided, you know, I got to investigate further, man, you know, about the Crazy Eyes Jack dude. The source of the information, you know, was at the whistle stop. That's what everybody kept telling me. It's the um, local, like, little diner or something, man, at gas station, all that, train, all that, just put in the one, so I go over there and, uh, you know, I sat down at the bar, ordered me a little drinky drink, man, and everything. The bartender name was, you know, Horace Kettle, just a real skinny old man, you know, white beard, had on an eagle's hat and some dark glasses. I asked him about the sign outside of, you know, of the town. And suddenly, just the whole place went quiet, man. It was two big guys at the uh, pool table, man. They just stopped playing, and they looked down at me like they just ready to bust my head open. So Horace, he just looked at him, and he turned to me and said, uh, hey, man, uh, that name is never spoken out loud here. 
Come on over here to the corner booth with me. I'll tell you all about it. I picked up my drink and I followed him. I could feel everybody looking at me while we walked to the booth. You know, we sat down and everything. And Horace took out a pack of cigarettes from the pocket of his apron and uh, lit up. Taking a long puff of it, man, he blew the smoke out and he started to talk. And a crazy-ass Jack kid, he came to Snyder's Gate around about uh, 1919, I believe. No one knew his real name was or where he came from. Just showed up one day, you know, after being kicked off a moving freight train by the brake man, you know, he just never left after that. The reason everybody uh, called him uh, uh, Crazy Ass Jack was because of his eyes. I thought to myself, duh, bruh. <laughs> anyway, he kept going. His eyes were, you know, just a bit too big. Like two ping pong balls. Just, you know, they always seem to be budging out of their sockets. Like, and he ain't never blank. Wherever he, well, you know, just wherever uh, he went. He had that crazy look up in his eye. And his eyes and his face, you know, never had no expression. At first, people thought, you know, he was a, a unfortunate soldier from, you know, from the Great War or something, suffering from shell shock. But that was dismissed uh, when he was revealed to only be 16 years old. As soon as he arrived, you know, he began causing trouble. He was caught, you know, just, just numerous times, just peeking in through somebody's window at night. He vandalized storefronts. He even did un unnatural things with certain animals, man, you know, sometimes even in public. There was also some, um, some, some eyewitness accounts of, of him strangling stray cats to death and Tossing them in an old quarry pond. Town folk did everything they could to get rid of them. They bought them uh, one-way train tickets to New York, Chicago, Miami, Los Angeles. Just about anywhere a young boy was on with, you don't know, want to go. But he refused to leave. He'd rather stay in this old rinky-dink town all these years. Eventually, they sent him to the um, state insane asylum. But the folks at the asylum sent him back, saying he was too too crazy to keep in there. Some men once um, stuffed him in a mail bag and let him be picked up by the mail train. And, you know, once he came through town or whatever, but old crazy-ass Jack just, just walking back in town a few days later like, like nothing even happened. You know, I asked him, what about the police? They couldn't stop him? He said, well, you know, back then, back then, um, things were a little different around here. A lot of men would just beat the mess out of you and lock you up for a few days, or, or, you know. And uh, old crazy ass, he didn't mind taking a beating. You know, after a few years of this, the, the whole town was ready to hang him. But chief police said, uh, couldn't hang him because uh, he hadn't committed, you know, any serious crimes. But all that changed back in uh, about uh, 1923, I believe.
that summer, you know, a family moved in the Snyder's Gate from uh, Philadelphia. There were four of them, a husband and a wife and two teenage children. 17-year-old boy named, uh, I think his name was uh, Tim, and 16-year-old girl named Gloria. While Tim was kind of plain looking at everything, Gloria, she was absolutely stunning. I'm talking about that girl with red bone with green eyes. You know, quite naturally, she uh, caught the eye of every boy and young man in town. Even. And, you know, I hate to say it, but old crazy-ass Jack with them uh, unblinking eyes, man, he had his eyes on her, too. Jack started to develop an, an obsession with Gloria. He stalked her all over town. He'd catch a beating for it, but it ain't stop him. He'd come right back the next day or two and be stalking her again. But, you know, one day when, you know, every time Gloria look around and meet somebody, uh, you know, Jack, he, they see him scurry behind the alley, a garbage can or something, and he'd come on out when the coast was clear. And this all came to a head, you know, on the night of the, the high school's harvest dance in October. Gloria had been going out with a boy named uh, Amos uh, Wesley was his name. He was an A-plus student and uh, starting fullback for the football team and track star and everything. Looking at scholarships, you know, to the college of his choice. That was a big deal way back then because this time, we weren't really known for much. Just a, you know, stop along the train line. So as the dance began to wind down, Amos took uh, Gloria for a little ride in his new uh, Packard Roadster. Little did anybody know that uh, that was such a fine car would soon become a, just a vehicle of tragedy, man. Uh, when neither Gloria or Amos came home, the parents got worried and and they phoned the police. Since both families were members of the town's, you know, social elite class, you call it, the police and town folk quickly began a search. A gas station attendant said he saw the couple headed up to Hickory Hill. That was like the, the locals' lover's lane part, you know. He said they had filled the tank up before they headed up there. The police and the town folk all went to the hill and they found the roasted there, banner. You know, it was some signs of a struggle, but there wasn't no sign of um, Amos and Glory. Then a man came running from the woods, faithful, white as a ghost. Before he could speak, he just, just vomited uh, violently all over. Then he told him he found the remains of Amos. The police themselves were horrified by what they saw. Over in the middle of a, a clearing was Amos's body. He had been disemboweled with had his intestines exposed. His head was severed and was sitting over on a tree stump. His face carved up like a jack o' lantern. It didn't take long for the police to figure out who was responsible. Everybody knew crazy ass Jack had been eyeing Gloria all since she had arrived. And that he lived in a small wooden shack behind the junkyard. 
So the police and a, an angry mob went to the lair of old crazy ass and the police busted down the door and found Gloria still alive. She was completely naked and her hands was tied to the headboard, beat up old Brad's bed with dirty old rags and it was clear that she had been raped. They did a quick little search and they found crazy eyes hiding in the back seat of an old Model T Ford land sitting around somewhere. The dirty white button-down shirt he always wore was covered in blood and it was completely unbuttoned and his fly was unzipped and everything. Apparently old Jack had stalked him down the Hickory Hill and he murdered Amos and then kidnapped Gloria and raped him. trial was held at the state courthouse in Harrisburg and it made headline news in the papers across the country as well as all of you know the news radios and stuff that since the officials of the state and saying something testified that Jack was too crazy and unstable to be housed there the judge sitting crazy eyes Jack to the, be executed in the electric chair it was on a cold, gray February afternoon in 1924. Old Crazy Eyes was escorted from the cell to the execution chamber, and when they asked if he had any last words, old Jack said, I regret nothing. And with that, he spat on the floor before they sent 50,000 votes to him and put old Crazy Eyes out of his memory, misery they said one that popped out his head. Before a while afterwards, Snyder's Gate became uh, somewhat of a, a tourist attraction. People came far and wide to see the sleepy little town that became home to such a depraved young man for a whole four years. And old crazy eyes were worth more to Snyder's Gate dead than when he was alive. The whole town made a small fortune off of, off the name and. For a few years before all the noise died down, and Snyder's Gate returned to normal for the first time, but we still kept the, you know, the, the sign outside, you know, or we put it out there right after his execution. After I heard the story of Crazy Eyes Jack, I asked what happened to Gloria and her family. At this point, Horace became, you know, kind of silent for a while. And, then he told me old Gloria was pregnant and she and her family moved back to Philly right after the trial. It was late July of uh, 1925, I'm thinking now, she uh, gave birth to a healthy baby boy. She stayed single for the first four years, you know, finishing high school and then she got a job and everything as a waitress before meeting a kind-hearted young man who was willing to shoulder the responsibilities of parenthood and, and she married him. They soon had several other children, but they not important to the story. However, that boy that she conceived by old crazy eyes would graduate high school and serve in the army during World War II well, was that World War II? I don't know. It might have been one of the wars after World War II. But it might have been right around the end of World War II, if I ain't mistaken. But anyway, uh, he moved to Snyder's Gate and 
became a farmer and a used car salesman. And he got married and raised five kids and eventually opened up a bar in the old train station. You know, even when trains no longer stopped at Snyder's Gate. After he finished, it became clear that the man speaking to me uh, was the son of this jacked up man whose name was never said out loud. I just sat there. Now I'm looking crazy. That man, the horse, took one final puff of his cigarette and then crushed it in the, uh, in the little glass ashtray, he said. You think that's something? Take a look at these. Horace said and removed his dark glasses. What I saw still haunts me to this day. What I saw was two large bug eyes that never blinked, man. And the old man started laughing through his ugly yellow teeth. <laughs> Mama always said uh, I had my pappy's eyes. And she was right. The old man laughed like he was crazy. I got up and ran from the booth and got in my car and I drove way fast as I could. I took a different route home after my business trip and to this day, I still had nightmares about them large, ugly, unblinking eyes, man. Passed down from an insane daddy to a just plain creepy son. Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Pops and forced me to come. She said I'm on my phone too much and I need to get in touch with Mama Nature and all that. So we just packed up and took off, man. Just us and Mama. We went to this area about 50 miles away from the nearest Walmart. Number trees, trees, and trees, man. So many stupid trees. And I'm a city boy, man. I could be at home watching Netflix or something. I'd be chilling doing that. So we out here in the woods or whatever. We didn't finally found a big enough clearing to set up our tents and get a fire going before dark came. Roasted a few marshmallows, told a few stories, got up in our tents and everything. So now we just chilling. Outdoors really ain't my thing, but you know, I had to admit, it's a different kind of peace out here. You know, the leaves gently rustling against the night breeze and all that. It ain't too bad. But anyway, we got up the next morning, well rested, ready to go for a morning hike, and I'm lacing up my Tim's. But I couldn't help but feel like our campsite had just shrunk in size, man. I know it was pretty dark when we got here last night, so maybe, you know, my mind just playing with me, but we went on to prep for our hike and everything, and we went on out, stayed out for about two, three hours. So when we got back, the campsite was even smaller. You know, even my folks noticed this time, man, you know, the trees was a whole lot closer than before. We didn't even know what to make of it. 
So, you know, and I ain't had no service or none, so I couldn't Google shrinking campsites. So I'm feeling my mind, I'm like, this is my cue to pack up and leave. But you know, of course, Pop's got to be Mr. There has to be a reasonable explanation for this. But I don't even think he believed that. He said we stay one more night, it couldn't hurt. He said maybe the wind just blew some branches down and made the woods look tighter. So I said, okay, whatever, Pops. Mom was cool with it, so, you know, we just gonna make it do what it do. But nighttime came, and we went to sleep. And real early the next morning, we got up to find our campsite was gone. Reduced to a space so tight, you could barely get past the trees. Mama was crying now, going in on Pops for not leaving last night. Pops no longer wanted to even find an explanation. He was searching for the car keys like he was crazy. We was scared to the mug, but I kept my bones clinging together when we heard this booming voice. Tiger, tiger, tiger. Chop, chop, chop. Build, build, build. No CC, plant, plant. A whole gang of voices jumped in, cheering. It was trees. We trees stand mighty, big, small, but mighty. Deforestation, mankind has no limit, no pity. So we trees will do the same. And we begged them to let us go. How can you punish us for something the world done done? You think that makes it better? We were here first, wise and tall, deeply rooted. Not easily plucked up like a meaningless weed, but ripped from the soil that held us for centuries. Do this for your fellow man. We trees first victorious battle in the war of flesh and wood. We gave you breath, and now we take it. Make sure you never miss a Chilling Tales for Dark Nights video again. Be sure to subscribe and hit that bell to turn on notifications. This is a story. It happened to a buddy of mine recently retired. Wherever you are and whatever you do next, I wish you the best of luck, my brother. I'm praying for you. The story goes like, it was a rainy day back in August, in the early 90s. He was still fairly new, a brand new officer, still full of hope. Said never seen a bad accident or anything other than that, just a few bad fights, you know. So tonight was just a slow night like any other. 
Not many calls coming in in a quiet town they stayed in. Say he got up, yawned, and stepped out of the car to get him a cup of cheap coffee from the gas station. Say he remembered standing around and talking with his partner while watching the rain fall out the window. And right then a call came in over the radio. A call for a welfare check of a resident, an adult male. The family ain't seen him for a week or two. Units in route respond. They came out over the radio. Say he looked at his partner and they shrugged. And she let dispatch know that they would be en route. They arrived at the house and met the caller, the home's owner's sister. She was extremely concerned about her brother as no one in her family had heard from him in a week. He wouldn't even answer the phone, wouldn't come to the door, and they couldn't see through any of the windows, but they knew his car was there. They asked the sister to sit and wait on the sidewalk, and they walked up to the house, knocked on the door saying, state police, come to the door, come to the door. But there wasn't no answer. They knocked again and again and again, but still no answer. The sister kept calling, ringing the phone, still no answer. They could hear the phone ringing inside the house, but they never saw any movement. No lights would come on or anything. His partner approached them, and they went around to the back of the house, and they found a window on the back door had been busted. She reached through and unlocked the door and he followed right behind her. They soon found the occupant in the attic, a knocked over chair on the floor next to him, and an extension cord around his neck tied to the roof support. He had only heard stories about officers finding suicide victims. It's so sad. It's sickening the first time. He looked at the victim his neck elongated like a giraffe from hanging. His face frozen in pain, purple. He felt sick. He had to do all he could to stop himself from throwing up because he still had a job to do. They cordoned off the house, had the crime scene come out and followed the usual protocol, evidence texts, chaplains, investigators. Other officers all arrived to fulfill their duties. My buddy did the best he could to hold it together until the crime scene was released. But the image seemed to stick with him more than anyone else there. He sat in his car, unable to get the image out of that man, get the image of that neck out of his head. His partner kept asking if he was okay she knew it was the first time he ever seen a suicide death, or death in general. He just kept saying, yeah, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. But he knew he was lying. She did too. I don't know if you're much for prayer, but maybe you ought to speak to the chaplain. 
it might do you some good, is what she told him. But he just kept on repeating, I'll be okay. Later that night, he sat at home, smoking a cigarette at the kitchen table, drinking a glass of bourbon, had the TV on in the living room just to get some background noise. (laughs) So I just failed attempt at keeping his mind off things. He looked out the kitchen window and into the backyard. And he saw him standing right outside his window, staring right at him, his face still frozen in pain and purple, his neck still stretched, standing in the backyard, reaching out towards him. He could barely hear his voice through the window saying, Help me. Help. He's got up and jumped backwards, falling out the chair, knocking the bourbon over, hitting the floor. Hit his head on the counter, and he fell unconscious. When he woke up the next morning, bright and early, his head was killing him. He would see this man, though, every night for the next two weeks. He would stay up all night until it began affecting his work. He had to go get him some help. He spoke to the department chaplain and the psychologist. He kind of helped for a little while. But sometimes, when he was so stressed out from the job and from life itself, whenever he would start feeling like a failure and like he should give up on life, the man comes back. The giraffe man comes back. Chilling Tales for Dark Nights.